You want Chinese? They want pizza. Someone in the back is craving sushi. What do you do? Well, there's something for everyone on DoorDash. And you need to continue to support restaurants in your community safely. And there are thousands of restaurants open for delivery on DoorDash that need your patronage now more than ever. Support your favorite restaurants on DoorDash. With over 300,000 partners in the U.S., Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can support your local go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code ADVANTAGE. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code ADVANTAGE. Don't forget, that's code ADVANTAGE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back for another edition of Two-Man Advantage, the playoff edition Monday morning. Uh, The NHL just never stops. We left on Friday. We're still trying to figure out what was going to happen at the end of the uh, first round of the NHL playoffs. Now Monday rolls around. We're knee-deep in the second round. We've already had one coaching change since the completion of the first round. And to help us unpack all of it. Colby Cohen. Colby, this is the first time you've been on the podcast. Former NHL player, college standout, Aces broadcast analysis, both on television and radio, and also terrific entrepreneur who uh, Katie Strang wrote about earlier in the uh, pandemic in, in your efforts to get PPE uh, into the hands of frontline workers. So good for you, and thank you for hanging out with us on a Monday morning. I, I might have to get that clipped because that might be the best introduction anybody's ever given me in my life. I want to send that to some of my old coaches, maybe some of the guys that we're going to talk about uh, here in this podcast. But uh, yeah, I, I, I appreciate the warm welcome, and uh, I always I have been listening along, so it's it's good to join you. Oh, Colby, it's terrific. Well, thank you, and and feel free to use that clip. I, it's only a small finder's fee on my end if you, some big op- job opens up for you. But speaking of job openings, I, I want to get right, you know, sort of to the whole Eastern Conference, the two series uh, that will make up the second round. But uh, I'm curious about your thoughts on on sort of the news of the weekend um, with uh, Brian McClellan, GM in Washington. I, I'm not sure it was a huge surprise, but announcing Sunday afternoon that Todd Reardon would not be returning. As head coach and and making it pretty clear in his uh, press briefing that um, really was looking forward to having a coach with NHL experience come in. Um, I've talked to some people connected to the uh, organization who believe that that you know sort of inferring that they want somebody with a harder hand maybe um, to to try and take advantage of uh, of what I think is probably a closing window on a team that won a Stanley Cup in eighteen. Alex Ovechkin heading into his contract year. Uh, lots going on with the Caps. I wonder what you know what you made of uh, of the speed with which Brian McClellan made the decision, and, and maybe what's next for the Caps. Yeah, you know, I think the speed in which that was done, I think, means that it was something that was talked about um, beforehand. And you know, I, you know, I was having this conversation with someone the other day, and you know, talking about who are going to be the teams that. 
make these types of changes after this restart and after this sort of unfamiliar playoff format that we've seen, um, this bubble atmosphere. I mean, everything is, is obviously uh, changed. So it, it really leads me to believe that this was something that they were talking about. Um, you know, I don't think that this means Todd Reardon's not a good hockey coach. I just think that every voice is different for every group. And something that I think veteran coaches are able to do, um, you know, maybe better than, than first-time first head coaches is they're able to sort of look around the room and say, okay, this is, uh, this is what I have, and maybe my normal style isn't going to work here. So how do I adapt to work with this group to make this group successful? And, you know, my guess is that um, you're probably not going to do well with some drill sergeant type of coach um, in Washington because of all the star power, but you also need someone who does hold the players accountable, someone who can really draw from experience to captivate the dressing room when he's addressing the team before a playoff game, when you've got guys like Ovechkin and, and you know, you might have a little bit of a goalie situation, which, it you know, Washington sort of did. Uh, they weren't really sure who was going to play. And, you know, then, uh, you know, the one guy was injured and then Holtby, you know, is a free agent. I mean, it, it's a little bit of a messy situation. So uh, my guess is they probably were, were sort of thinking about this, um, you know, at, at other points and, and they did not waste any time on it. And, and you know, like I said, I, I've actually heard really good things about Todd Reardon. I do think people enjoy playing for him and being around him. Um, but, you know, just not the right voice for that group. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I talked to somebody who believes that Todd Reardon will be very much in demand, if not as a head coach right away, but certainly as, you know, the work he did first in Pittsburgh and then in Washington as uh, working under Barry Trotz and, and sort of revamping the defensive um, identity for both those teams is is it was stellar. So uh, I'm with you on that. And it'll be interesting to see. I mean, do you, I think a lot of people now, you know, you look at Mike Babcock, who has a lot of term and money left on his deal with Toronto. You got Peter LaViolette, who was dismissed by Nashville. But, you know, uh, both those guys uh, have had incredible success. Do you, is there someone you think, okay, I think that would be a good fit for, for that Caps team? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think it's easy to look at some of the guys you mentioned and think, you know, would Mike Babcock, who obviously does things his way, um, although having been sort of outed the way that he was or ousted would be the better word um, in Toronto, you know, maybe he goes in there and says, all right, how do I get better? How do I do a better job? Look at all these, you know, terrific players I have, leaders, Ovechkin. I mean, you know, Alexander Ovechkin's game has really evolved in the last like three years to a point where you know what you're going to get out of him every night. And I don't mean he's going to score from his spot. I mean what he's going to do in the other zones um, and the way he sort of holds himself accountable now away from the puck. I think it has absolutely evolved. Um, so, look, would I be shocked to see a guy like Mike Babcock? I don't think shocked would be the right word, but, um, you know, uh, there's been, um, you know, some other names like Laviolette, and, and I kind of look at Nashville. Uh, he had a lot of good offensive players, and they couldn't really, um, you know, get it together, and, and they, they were struggling to score at times, and their power play at times, and, you know. So, I, I, you know, to be honest with you, I haven't um, – I haven't thought really long and, and sort of deep into it. I mean, Gerard Gallant is obviously a name that's always going to come up. It seems like 
I can't believe he's not coaching. It's almost weird. I, I still feel like he's the coach of Vegas, where obviously <laughs> he is not. And we saw uh, the other Vegas coach, uh, his name in the press over the weekend, which was quite interesting. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I'm a proponent of the next guy, like one of these younger assistant coaches getting an opportunity. Now, I know Washington said that they're not going to do that this time around, but you know, when, when the managers, when there's a GM opening or a coach opening, you know, something that I'm at least usually advocating for is to see, you know, some of these, these younger people and these um, sort of people that are waiting in the wings get an opportunity uh, for some of these jobs. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that, and it'll be interesting to see, you know how it, it because I you know we, we are going to look at a different uh, coaching landscape. I think, uh, given all that's happened with the uh, with you know with the flattened cap and teams having their own internal budgets because of all the economic pressures uh, connected to uh, the coronavirus. So lots of I, I think there will be some maybe some interesting decisions made around the NHL on that front. Um, the one team that you spent a lot of time looking at, and it's a direct, you know, I mean, there there was a lot of emotion in that Washington-New York Islanders series because of Barry Trotz's presence behind the Islander bench. And now the Islanders move on and face a team that you're very familiar with in, in terms of the of your analysis with the Philadelphia Flyers. I, I think there's a couple ways to unpack how the Flyers arrived here. They had their hands full with Montreal. For me, by the end of that series, incredible emotion. And for long stretches near the end of that series, you know, Montreal was probably the better team. And Carter Hart really had to bail the Flyers out at various points in order for them to move on. And and. I guess you can look at it, if your glass is half empty, you're like, oh, my gosh, how are they going to match up against a team that might work even harder and has more offensive weapons in the Islanders? Or maybe you look at it like you're half full and say, that's a pretty good test case for the Philadelphia Flyers and that that may help prepare them very well uh, for the New York Islanders. That series gets underway tonight. I, I, what are your thoughts of uh, on this matchup, especially given what happened with Philly and Montreal? Yeah, I mean, you know, it is a really interesting matchup and it's hard because both teams uh, defend really well and they put a major emphasis on, you know, uh, low scoring defensive straight line type of hockey. And um, I look at the Islanders who, you know, have really surprised everybody because heading up to the, the COVID pause, they were not playing well. Um, they, they were, I, if I remember correctly, had lost a, a number of games before the pause after the trade deadline. They were really trying to figure it out, uh, heading in the wrong direction. So, uh, you know, they come back and, you know, they play Florida, who, you know, has a lot of their own problems, uh, identity problems. Um, you know, goaltending was sort of an issue for them. And they, they kind of, you know, cruise through that series without really getting tested and, and, uh, Washington, who, uh, you know, on any given moment is dangerous, but, you know, really never strung 60 minutes of, of really good hard hockey together. Even the game that they won, you know, they kind of were down a couple goals and needed that push. And maybe it was about the second half of the game where they really showed up, but, but weren't able to sustain it. So, you know, I always get... Um, I always am I'm not quick to crown a champion in an early round. I know everybody was calling for Colorado to win the Stanley Cup. And then all of a sudden, you know, that here come the Dallas Stars with, you know, Anton Hudobin, their backup goaltender, and they kind of punch him in the face in the first game. So um, I, 
I'm really interested to see, and I, I'm not I'm not quite ready to to you know think that the Islanders have played great hockey and the Flyers have not played great hockey. I I don't think that the Islanders have truly been tested. Um, I do think that they're a good team. You know the way that the Islanders cut the ice in half, especially in the neutral zone, and then they force you up the walls uh, where they're able to outnumber you. They do it probably better than anyone, um, but. You know, you look at the Flyers who got through that series, you know, definitely took a couple punches in the face, um, you know, got the saves that they needed, but they didn't give up a ton, you know, and, and while they shouldn't have, because Montreal is not loaded with offensive power, uh, they don't come at you with four lines of guys who really uh, are threats every time that they're on the ice. And so, you know, the Flyers have some some left to give, and and I think offensively, Scott, you know, there's a group of players on the Flyers that are going to need to uh, produce. Otherwise, it's going to be a tough series against a team like the Islanders, who are so tight defensively. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And a good for the thing for the Flyers, I think, in terms of, you know, sort of learning a bit about themselves. You'll get Matt Niskanen back after a one-game suspension. Um, and I, I think he's important to that team. And, and it's, it's going to be, you know, again, I... I I look at the coaching matchups in some of these, uh, and I really do like the idea of Barry Trotz um, and Alain Vigneault. Uh, you know, Vigneault, full value, I think, for being in the final group for the Jack Adams trophy for the work he's done in Philly. So I think that I, I, there's going to be a lot of hockey brain power at play in that series. Um, and before I let you go, I wanted to I, I want to circle back to the uh, – uh, the other Eastern Conference series that got going on Sunday evening. And I was saying to you before we started to, to record, I, I sort of keep waiting for Boston. You know, they they sort of meandered through the round robin, and I, I thought they might really have their hands full with Carolina. It didn't happen that way. I, I really thought that Tampa w- might, you know, with their sort of added grit and, and how they emerged from that series with Columbus, I, I thought Tampa might be ready to sort of jump on things early. Um, but once again, Boston continues to prove me wrong. I don't really, they, they seem to get better every day. And I wonder if you, there's any surprise for you, just where the Bruins are at. They built a three, nothing lead, end up winning three, two in game one over Tampa. What do you make of the Bruins and, and maybe how that series could possibly play out? Yeah. I mean, like you, I was, I was unsure if they were going to be able to flip the switch. And and I don't think that they actually flipped a switch in that Carolina series. I think they sort of gradually, um, you know, got going and sort of Krejci got going. And then it seemed like Marshawn got going and Bergeron's always going. And then McAvoy started getting better and better as the series went along. Uh, And I think he's just been so, so phenomenal um, in the last couple of games he's played. And, you know, it's, it's a group that, you know, the core group is, is they just, they know how to win and they've got so much experience. I mean, they've won a cup, they've been to the finals twice, you know, this core group, um, they know what it's like to win and they know what it's like to lose, which I, I think is also, you know, important. Um, you know, when you play all summer and you come up short, I think you obviously can learn a lot of valuable lessons there. And so, um, you know, I, I think Tampa got off to a slow start in that game, and you're going to have a hard time um, trying to beat the Bruins when you're down by more than a goal because, you know, the one thing is you look around that lineup and, you know, n- none of their players make dumb plays. I mean, I, 
it's like there's 18 skaters who always seem to make the right play. And uh, that goes back to the Claude Julian era of being in Boston. Um, it's definitely transformed and, and gone right into uh, the Butch Cassidy era as the head coach. But, you know, they're, they're one of the most thorough teams with the puck. And, and you know, you watch them, you see even when they give up chances, it's they never – uh, they're never hurting themselves. You know, guys are going to make skill plays and they're going to make you look bad. You're going to get beat. I mean, that's going to happen. But you just watch. They don't turn the puck over at the blue line. They don't turn the puck over at the red line. You know, their third and fourth line, they understand that, you know, their job is to get the puck in down low and go to work. I mean, everybody seems to have an identity on that team. And it's been that way for a long time. I give you know, Bruce Cassidy, a lot of credit for, for keeping it going. I mean, he's one of the best X's and O's people and hockey. Um, you know, if, if you watch a film clip with Bruce Cassidy, no matter how much you know about hockey, you will learn something else. I mean, he knows more about the X's and O's, how to get into a, a zone on a power play, you know, how to watch a video and tell you how to get through a one, three, one in the neutral zone. I mean, he's he's got more up in his brain than most people when it comes to that kind of thing. And you can tell by the way that they were prepared to play, the way that they um, got up and down the ice against a tough Tampa team. I mean, you look at the Tampa's four lines and six defensemen or eight defensemen, however you want to put it, they're built to win right now. And, and they still might. I think this is going to be a long series. And uh, I think a lot of it's going to come down to um, Yaroslav Halak and, and how well he plays. Uh, is he going to play like he played last night? If he is, you know, the, the, the Bruins have as good a chance to win the cup this year as anyone. Um, but it, it still remains to be seen because you've got a couple back-to-backs in this series, um, which, you know, are, it's well documented in the NHL now that it's rare to see goaltenders play back-to-back. Usually you see that split on back-to-back nights. The Bruins have two of them in this series. They've got a, a backup goaltender um, that uh, in Vladar that has never played a game in the NHL. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on. And, and you know, I, I think that that series is going to be one of the best series of the playoffs, and, and it's only the second round. I'm with you on that. And Colby, I, I know that I am much smarter having spoken with you this morning. So the, uh, my Monday is already a huge success. So, <laughs> And you should uh, give Colby a follow on Twitter at Colby Cohen 36. And we're going to take a brief break. And when we come back, we will be joined by the legendary Darren Pang. So don't go away. We will be oh, right wow. back. How about that? <laughs> Thank God I went first. Thanks very much, Colby. Take care. All right, guys. Thank you. Our sponsor today, Manscaped, has you covered to keep the hair looking nice and trimmed and feeling fully supported. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. The premium Lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof, includes an LED light, and is made with advanced skin-safe TM technology, which reduces nicks and cuts on your delicates. Can't be too safe there, can you? You can get this trimmer inside their Perfect Package 3.0, which also includes the Manscaped Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and the Crop Reviver Ball Toning Spray. Both super practical, and they smell great, too. 
The Manscaped boxer briefs have optimal temperature control with their crop cooling technology while keeping your pride and joy supported. The waistband is also super elastic to reduce chafing and rubbing. You need to try this out for yourself. So get 20% off plus free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's right. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. Remember, 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC20. From the moose to the caboose, always use the right tools for the job. As promised, we are back with Two Man Advantage, the Monday edition, and Darren Pang joining us, a good friend, ah, just a good friend, but certainly a good friend to the podcast. And, you know, over the years, uh, Panger have always enjoyed every time we have connected, whether it's been on road trips, playoffs, uh, interviews, but uh, I hope you're I hope you're doing well. It's great to hear your voice. Yes, yeah, Scotty, great to hear your voice as well. And yes, we do go back a long way. Uh, the old ESPN original days, uh, the <laughs> magazine days, the you name it days. Uh, um, I think back now at uh, uh, a little while ago, Scotty, I would think back to my when I started and I'm like, yeah, well, it was 93. And, you know, ni- <laughs> 1993, you got players that are playing in the NHL that were born in 2000. So uh, <laughs> but but you know what? The, the good news is when it's uh, when it's talking hockey and and getting ready for the playoffs or listen to what you you guys are talking about with the uh, the playoffs so far it's uh it's still very 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 energizing and uh even though we're in a obscure times i still turn on the tv and i i get really excited to watch a playoff game whether i'm doing it or not doing it so uh so i'm looking forward to this conversation again scotty Good stuff. Well, appreciate it. And so let's do. We'll break it into a couple of uh, chunks here because I certainly want to. I'm I'm curious what you make of the fallout for the defending Stanley Cup champion Blues to be done so early in the proceedings. But but I, I do want to sort of catch the the news of the day, as it were, and and, and watched with uh, with great interest that Vancouver Vegas uh, first game of the second round for me. Just so much to unpack there, and you saw obviously. Um, you know, sort of firsthand what that Canucks team was capable of. And and I was curious just to see how Vegas would respond because, hey, there had been some news over the weekend, right? You know, Alan Walsh, the longtime agent for Marc-Andre Fleury, making, uh, you know, a, a, a pictorial tweet uh, that uh, indicated his displeasure with how Marc-Andre Fleury had been treated in the goaltending rota- rotation there. And I wondered whether there would be you know, sort of a carryover onto the ice. And, of course, Robin Leonard pitches a shutout. Vegas wins 5 nothing, and, and really, um, I think, exerted themselves on a Vancouver team that maybe hadn't seen that kind of speed and, and depth be, before. And I wondered maybe what you were expecting, given all that sort of back narrative, when this series, you know, when the puck dropped on game one. Well, I was expecting Vegas to come out just the way they came out, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, they're looking at the Vancouver Canucks. They've studied the, you know, the, the series against St. Louis. They're probably thinking to themselves, we'll, we'll be facing St. Louis. I, I would think that uh, uh, you, you you give the benefit to the defending Stanley Cup champs that they would find a way to, to win the series in, in seven games. Uh, when that doesn't happen, um, you, you know you're getting a team that hasn't been there before that's a little banged up on the blue line. Um, certainly Tyler Myers, and I know Edler came back in the, in the series against uh, – against the blues with that cut left side of his head. Um, but you know, there's kind of a smallish D with Stetcher and, and with Quinn Hughes. So, 
Uh, all in all, for game one, I felt like it was almost a throwaway game for Vancouver. Um, a hard game for them to play, just getting over the emotions of beating the Stanley Cup champions. And they had to empty the tank to beat St. Louis. They, they yeah. played very, very well. They deserve a lot of credit, Scott, for the way that they played. And their goaltender played well. I was almost thinking before game one uh, that uh, because, I mean, this is just me, and I know your team doesn't think that way, but uh, start Thatcher Demko, uh, give Markstrom a little rest, and then get him geared up for game two. Um, as it turns out, you know, Thatcher got into the game a little bit. But uh, Markstrom was the difference in the series against St. Louis. And I'm sure that, you know, he'll find his game again. But he's going to need some help in front because the way that Vegas plays is a little bit different than the way St. Louis plays. And um, for me, the two teams that I liked at the very beginning of this were Colorado and Vegas. And I'm still not changing my mind on that. Yeah. Well, and uh, listen, you, you've played the position. You've been around teams that have, you know, made bold goaltending decisions along the way. Of course, you know, you don't have to go back very far with Jordan Bennington really coming on last season and saving the Blues season. And then, of course, you know, helping them to their first ever Stanley Cup and, you know, usurping Jake Allen and all those kinds of dan- dynamics. I wonder, you know, listen, it's, it's great media fodder. It's a great story. So this, you know, my sense of is it that Robin Leonard and Marc-Andre Fleury have tremendous respect for each other, um, you know, understand that they both want the same thing and that's to win a Stanley Cup as a member of the Golden Knights but do you do you from afar do you look at that dynamic and the decisions that Pete DeBoer you know is making and has to make moving forward is that a tough thing or is it really much simpler than maybe we make it out to be from from the outside looking in no I think that would be a tough decision um and it would it would it would especially be a tough decision if it were Gerard Gallant there um you know maybe because Pete DeBoer came in you know, later in the season um, that he's just coming in there and, and uh, his, you know, his, his, his only goal is to get in there and, and to get a, a Stanley cup championship for the, uh, for the owner of the Vegas golden Knights. And it's uh, hey, we made this move. We've got this goaltender. We've also got Mark Andre Fleury. You play whoever's going to, you know, whoever's going to win. I, I was, I was surprised. I, I know Alan Walsh very well. And I know a lot of GMs that deal with Alan Walsh, they like dealing with them. Um, and, and, and I love the fact that he backs up his clients and he sends tweets out when his clients have great games and he, you know, he supports them, which, which is phenomenal. And he also supports them when they're not getting nice. I thought he went too far on this one. I, 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 there's too much at stake. This isn't October or November, uh, where a coach is riding his client, especially a future hall of famer like Mark Andre Fleury. Uh, I mean, he, he put a sword right in the back of his sweater with blood on the end in the name of the, of the coach on the other side. Uh, he went too far, and he put his goalie in a bad spot. Um, and you know what? I think Mark Andre Fleury is just such a good person. Even the way he says it in the press conference, you're actually you're like, okay, everything's going to be just fine. That's what I got from that. It, because if Mark Andre Fleury Scott wasn't allowed to say something, then there would have been a lot of question marks about did Alan Walsh get this from from Mark Andre? Is this Mark Andre's uh, uh, you know motivation? But the way Mark Andre came out and said it, the flower just says it great. And, uh, you know, you just believe him and it gets removed. And I think Alan Walsh learns from this and everybody moves on. But obviously the Vegas Golden Knights weren't too concerned with it. They just, they, they deal with it and they move on. They win the hockey game and Robin Leonard gets a shutout. I mean, Mark Andre Fleury may not see the net, but I, I, would, I would have to think that if Vegas is going to win the Stanley Cup, that Mark Andre Fleury will still be a big part of that. 
I was, you know what, I was, I was just going to say the same thing. And listen, you go back to even in that transitional time in, in, in Pittsburgh before Mark Andre ended up in Vegas and they were winning Stanley Cups and Matt Murray was about to take, listen, it, 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 and especially given the way the schedule was set up and Colby Cohen mentioned it in our first segment, just this notion of when you introduce back to backs, when you introduce this bubble system that we're, we're watching unfold now, I, I, I just don't see how you can't have, you know, make use of your two goaltenders and, and that you're pretty fortunate if you don't have to. And I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, I want to, I want to, you, we've sort of circled around on how Vancouver, you know, played against St. Louis and how it just, what a fascinating series that was to me, you know, the back and forth. I really felt when the blues came back to tie the series at two, two, that we were seeing this team sort of rise to its level and really sort of be positioned to take over that series. And it didn't happen. Listen, that, that, but you know, the injuries, the departure of Vladimir Tarasenko with his shoulder issue, the other injuries to, you know, to, to important role players on that team. Um, like if you're the blues and if you're a blues fan, are you, you know, are you, do you feel this is sort of a failure or what's your level of disappointment when, when you try and unpack losing to a, a, a really um, impressive and maturing Vancouver team, um, given all the circumstances, Darren? Well, you know, the, the next morning I was I was at my the golf club that I that I belonged to, and I was I was playing in the senior club championship in the morning, and that's all anybody wanted to talk about uh, was the game that was late. Now, one of the issues that that a lot of our fans had, to be quite honest with you, was how late the games were. I mean. Games were starting. I don't want to go down that trail, but boy, when games are starting at nine fifty at night local time, you know, a lot, a lot of times your fans are they're they're recording it and getting up in the morning and watching the end of it. But uh, um, the Blues fans were still disappointed, I think, in the in in the inconsistency and the question mark of why couldn't they find their game when other teams found their game when they got into the bubble. Um, but at the same time, when you when you do win your first Stanley Cup and you remember the parade of a, over a year ago, uh, I think there's some leeway there. And uh, um, the other part of it is what you said. The, the, the identity of the Blues for me was was um, Barbashev, Sunquist, and, and Alexander Steen. Uh, they, they went up against the other team's best players. Hardly anybody noticed that, you know, that line was their best defensive line. And, you know, on, on almost every given night, um, they started every shift after a goal against or a goal for, or they started a period or they started the game. So they set the tone is what I'm trying to say. So that line was, you know, a non-factor because Alexander Steen was really banged up. And I think this, this really took a toll on him, whether it was 150 days off um, going into the bubble, but, but he was never 50% healthy. So that was a, an issue for that line. And then Barbashev had to leave because his wife was giving birth to the baby. So that took, to, took something out as well. So, in breaking it all down, there's a lot of excuses that you can make, but I think some of them are very legitimate. I think, um, you know, Jay Bomeister situation, I think this season was tough for them. I mean, I was there with them. They're defending champs. You're going through everything, the rings, the White House, the the, the competing, the way that Craig Berube coaches, the, how hard it is every single night. And then then when Jay Bomeister went down with a cardiac uh, episode, Scott, that emotionally took its toll. I think they lost four straight after that, um, and it was hard for them to find their game. So, um, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of tweaks uh, along the way and a lot of decisions by Doug Armstrong. But all in all, I think the foundation of the Blues are, are still very, very good. And I think they have a, a nice three- to five-year window to win a couple of more championships, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and there, there are questions. That, that's the, the, the nature of the business. And I can tell you, you know, when you spend, I mean, you're there all the time, but even having spent time around that team last year during the playoff run and covering the West Final and the final, and that moment watching David Perron and Alex Petrangelo leave the ice and, you know, David's got his arm around Alex Petrangelo. I mean, he's headed for unrestricted free agency. Who knows how it works, given the flat cap, all the business of it. But is it just strikes me that you know whatever happens it's not a you know it's, it's it's part of the business now but i don't think you can ever understate how important alex petrangelo has been to that franchise you you're there every day but it, it strikes me he's a seminal figure in that team's history yeah i mean he is i mean it's not by fluke either he's he's a fourth overall pick they developed him i think the correct way uh i don't know if you recall but those are my early years of being here and he you know, he, he, he stayed here as an 18-year-old for eight games and then for nine games the next year and then sent back and won another gold medal for Canada. And um, and then as he evolved, he and he and Jay Bomeister became partners. They they uh, they won gold medals for, for Steve Eiserman. They won World Cups for Doug Armstrong uh, for Canada uh, in Toronto. And, you know, he just his, he just elevated and he's got calmness under fire. I've, I've often said this about Alex, and this is a you know tribute to the great players. When when there's a fire going on around them, uh, it's, it's like they're they're sitting up there in the balcony, and uh, the flames are coming up, and they're holding a little baby, and they're like, "We're okay, <laughs> we're going to be just fine." And somehow they perform their best. You know, they've just got this calmness uh, when the heat is on. And um, once again, in elimination games, uh, he was three and zero in elimination games as a defenseman last year. Uh, his numbers were impeccable with five points and a plus player. And he's just a really good player. And I've said this again, cause I don't, I don't know how this is going to work. Uh, but I do know that without Alex Petrangelo on the blue line of the St. Louis blues, uh, that five-year window shrinks, uh, quite a bit because he's a very, very important part of every aspect of their game, even strength, penalty kill, uh, power play. And, uh, and, and he's a good, and he's a really good person besides that. So, um, so yeah, th- these are difficult decisions, and uh, I'm, you know, I'm hopeful that the captain's going to be back and, and that he ends his career, and he, there's going to be a statue in front, just like Al McGinnis and Bernie Federico and 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 Brett Hall in front of Enterprise Center, because it would be much deserved. Yeah, it would be for sure. Uh, don't go away. I've got uh, one final question and some final thoughts for uh, from uh, Darren Pang. So don't go away. We will be right back. All right, Panger. Before I let you go, uh, I just I want to circle back on on the other Western Conference series that got underway on the weekend, and a team I know pretty well, having spent some time there, the Dallas Stars, and of course the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, you know, just you know, had had such a uh, an easy time, I think it's fair to say, with the Arizona Coyotes. But some drama there, of course, with Philip Grubauer leaving Game One with an injury. Uh, Jared Bednar, the head coach there, you know, doesn't, didn't sound particularly optimistic that uh, Grubauer would be returning anytime soon. So the, the pressure goes now to Pavel Francouz. Francouz, I think, is actually how you say it. Uh, and, of course, Ben Bishop has not um, been visible. He's, he hasn't been even backing up Anton Hudobin in goal. So kind of a battle of the backups in that series. And, and uh, you know, Dallas gets off to the great first start there, and they seem to have quietly built themselves some some nice momentum. And I wonder what you make of the early stages of that series. Yeah, and, and I'll get to the goaltending. Uh, Pavel Francouz is, uh, I think he's excellent. Scotty, I I, uh, I love this pickup by, by Colorado. Um even though we haven't seen a, a lefty, uh, a goalie that we, we all say catches with the wrong hand, 
um, <laughs> you know, uh, when, when, you know, recently, um, th- this guy impresses me with his, his edge, his edge work is spectacular. And for, for fans that are going to be watching this next game, um, the audio is so good, but when he goes side to side in his net, uh, there are very few goaltenders that you can hear the hollow of his skate blades pushing side to side. It is yeah. remarkable. Uh, and I'm probably yeah. more impressed with that because I couldn't do it. <laughs> so he, he's a powerful goaltender. He's got great hands, although he's not very big. I think he's six feet. He looks like he's bigger than that. And uh, so anyway, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I, I think this will give them, uh, this will give them a, a little spark as well. Grubauer's played well for them. Um, but uh, I said before the playoffs started that it would not surprise me if Fransos ends up uh, taking over the, the, the net anyway. Um, and it, it comes in an injury, but uh, I still felt like it was going to come at one point. It, it's, it's interesting because I didn't really know much about Fransos. And, of course, I didn't even know how to say his name properly, as it turns <laughs> out. Uh, but I, I was talking to uh, uh, an NHL goaltender earlier in the season who said the exact same thing about, he said, people don't get how good he is. And, of course, um, you know, he got a chance to to really get a taste with the Avs during the regular season before the pause. And the feeling was that, you know, at some point he's going to, he's going to find his own NHL team because he's that good. He's good enough to be a starter, you know, whether it's, uh, in Colorado, but um, you know the the one two punch there. Certainly, the Avs. My senses feel very comfortable now with that. Um, you know, even with Grubauer out. So I, I'm with you. I think it's going to be fascinating to see how that series unfolds. And you know, we're finally we're seeing Joe Pavelski. The reason that Joe Pavelski is a Dallas star, right? I mean, you didn't get him to light it up during the regular season. You got. Um, Pal, uh, Joe Pavelski to, for this time of the season. And I wonder if there's any surprise to you on what you've seen from Pavelski, you know, as Dallas uh, beat Calgary and now is up early in the series against Colorado. Well, he's just a gamer. That's all. I mean, I've seen enough of Joe Pavelski. And I think it was a big break for the Blues last year that Pavelski was was banged up and barely returned for that conference final last year after taking that, you know, that inadvertent stick in the face on the faceoff against Vegas. So I think this guy's a player. I mean, he's. To me, it, it took it took Dallas a little bit of time, uh, much like I compared them actually at the beginning of this year um, to the beginning of last year for the Blues. Expectations were very high. Ryan O'Reilly came in, uh, new players came in, and um, Pat Maroon was there. I mean, they were basically, you know, talking about a parade in the offseason. And then for two and a half months, they couldn't find themselves, and they weren't really playing for one another um, until really Craig Berube came on board. And I look at the stars at the beginning of the year, and I'm looking at the new players you know, like obviously like uh, like Joe Pavelski we're talking about, but like Corey Perry and, you know, even a guy like Garyanov was a Dowling Garyanov. I mean, players that that didn't quite know the way of the of the uh, of the team. And then they had a coaching change, obviously. So, I mean, there's a lot of things going on with the Dallas Stars. But all in all, when you look at their their line combinations and they can throw Corey Perry from a, a top line to a fourth line. Uh, they can throw uh, Rupe Hintz is, I think he's phenomenal. He and Garyanov are the future of this team. They 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 just play a fast, but they play a real, they stand up. They, they don't back away. They're not just a bunch of fast players that are shy. They're heavy. They play hard. And uh, I found that uh, players like that really gave the Blues in the series during the regular season. They were the players I noticed the most. But in the playoffs, you notice guys like Joe Pavelski. And what a play by Jamie Benn in game one to make that pass over to Radulov. Just a phenomenal pass. So, um, so really, I, I, I think Dallas is, this is going to be a, a handful, but I, I still do like Colorado in this. 
Uh, but uh, obviously, we've seen what Dallas can do after they won game one. That's a good stuff. Darren, I'm going to let you get back to your day. And as always, such a pleasure to chat and catch up with you. You should give Panger a follow on Twitter, at Panger40. My friend, I hope you have the best of days, and thanks for uh, coming and hanging out on a Monday morning. Scotty, it's my pleasure. Hopefully we'll see you down the road. Look forward to it. Thanks, Scotty. Take care, bud. Always feel better speaking with Darren Payne and uh, thank him for his time on a Monday morning listen the schedule is a little bit different now you got a little more time now leading up to the games which uh, which might be well frankly might be difficult but we have some ways to fill in that time Uh, apart from listening to two-man advantage you could also catch the athletics incomparable Katie Strang and she joins Richard Deach with Craig Custance on the full 60. So much to unpack in recent days uh, as they uh, break down TV broadcasts and the need for change in the light of recent incidents involving Mike Milbury, Jeremy Roenick, and Don Cherry. Uh, You should read Katie Strang's unbelievable column on the Mike Milbury situation. Jeremy Rutherford, speaking of the St. Louis Blues, he welcomes Blues radio analyst Joe Vitale as the two look back on the season that was for the, well, they won't be the defending Stanley Cup champions much longer, will we? Will they? And that is on We Went Blues at The Athletic. You should check out our comments section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to Two Man Advantage on Apple. And if you click on the show URL, theathletic.com slash Advantage, you'll get 40% off your subscription. And, of course... We will be back first thing Tuesday morning to unpack all that has unfolded in the preceding 24 hours. Don't miss it.